Hello, and welcome back to Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And like we've been doing, well, only since last year, but still, it's now Tuna Rose as an annual tradition. We just we've finished made our it regular a tradition. Yes, we've we made it a tradition. tradition. We did our Mephisto crossover, and now we're doing our alternative Halloween crossover. Well, yeah. Yeah, Tim has his own podcast now, that so works. it's a crossover. Yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> Where we are covering the Scott Edelman Scarecrow character. Because we've covered that five-page Scott Edelman Thanos story, and we spent half of that talking about the Scarecrow. Did we really? <laughs> Maybe not half of it, but at least a chunk of it. Okay, fair enough. I don't I don't recall. I will have to go and listen to that uh, again. And that's what made me think about doing this one. So I figure it's only really three issues he did. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what the heck? It gives me content now for three years. <laughs> <laughs> it's good it's good to it's good to have something in the books al it's good to have, yeah. it's good to have plans goals goals uh, yes we will goals. be doing marvel 201 number 19 next year yes is it 19 or 18 I thought it was 18 one of those two one of those two okay. i've heard it both ways whichever one has the scarecrow on it <laughs> and this time we are talking about marvel spotlight number 26 featuring of course the scarecrow and like last time, we have Brian and Tim Price back. Welcome back, guys. Howdy, party people. Hello. I mean, it's been I mean, so long. I know. It's been an episode here. for you, Tim. I know. It's like we were talking <laughs> about, you know, fluorescent ponies that, you know, and why everything smells like lavender. And now we're talking about, you know, horror of a, so it's like, it's like not even a change in beat. It's the same discussion. Just continued. Exactly. It's a different type of horror. <laughs> to be fair, Frenzy pre- seemed pretty horrified at that whole lavender thing. That That's very true. So, yeah, we are talking again. Like I said, we are talking about the Scarecrow character. The Not that one. Not the one that fights Batman. No, no, not the other Marvel one either that you're thinking of. That's basically the same as that one that used to fight Iron Man and also fought Ghost Rider in the 90s. Oh, yeah. we're talking about the one from The Wizard of Oz. Right. The guy who didn't yeah. have a brain. And not that one either. How about a he's fire, Scarecrow? What? But I remember him in Marvel Treasury editions. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. We're talking about the one the one that's uh, voiced by Rahul Kohli from the Mar- Harley Quinn cartoon, right? He's funny. Oh, yeah, that one. They're here all week, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and we're sorry. <laughs> You're sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm sorry for nothing. Oh, okay. I regret nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are talking about the Scarecrow character created by writer Scott Edelman. First appeared in Dead of Night number 11, which we covered last year. And now Scott, this character who was supposed to get his own series, if we remember from last time, they even had Scarecrow listed in some of the subscription boxes. You can get a subscription to that series, which never happened. And it just makes me wonder, what did people get then if they are subscribed to Scarecrow? I was just wondering that. That just boggles the mind. So yeah. was anyone here in 1975, <sighs> did anyone subscribe to the Scarecrow? What did you get? Yeah, please let really us know. Curious. I'm fascinated by that idea. Yeah, I would really, I, I would be very curious. I was always curious about how that worked. I do think I actually subscribed for one year to a Marvel comic at some point, and I can't remember which one, and I don't even remember how it went for me. All I remember is that I think hmm. I bit on, after after many years of seeing the ads, and they're all mailed flat. Um, no, they're not. 
Well, what, the point was it, is, was it Amazing Spider-Man or no, Avengers? I or think Fantastic I, Four or I Apple Flight been, or might have been New Mutants. Those ones I've also I think to. it was New. <laughs> I think it was New Mutants. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, See, but that, unfortunately, that I think it was. That towards the end it. of the uh, towards the end of the original run, um, like which in hindsight, uh, I don't like in hindsight well enough to uh, <laughs> be happy that I spent money that kind of money on it. But that's a different story. So you had like the Roy Thomas experience. Yeah. Where if anyone doesn't what? know Roy Thomas famously, it's a story where like he was a big fan of the JSA and the all star comics and he subscribed to it. And like the second issue in, he they changed, they canceled it, and it changed it to All Star Western. <laughs> <laughs> but if you subscribed at that point, Scott, then you might have gotten the no, Brian. You might have gotten what? Uh, Deadpool's first appearance. Yeah. Maximum Life failed. But yeah, no, I did know, get Maximum Life failed. That's and crazy. To my eternal and to my eternal shame, at the time, I thought Liefeld was pretty awesome i have regrets nothing wrong with that yes no, there is with that. yes no. there is yes there no. is look Tastes i love change. i love this is right up there miniseries this is right up there it's fantastic this is right up there in the annals this is right up there in the annals of my personal history with my senior year mullet okay <laughs> well, I we all like what we'd like and i'm not going to apologize for that <laughs> now, by the way just going with that i was just wondering if maybe people would have gotten like Dead of Night and then Marvel Spotlight, but Dead of Night was August of 75 and Marvel Spotlight, this Marvel Spotlight issue was February 76, so mm. too much of a jump. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they would have just mm-hmm. got one of the other horror, horror books, like Tomb of Dracula, maybe. Mm-hmm. But yes, if you were in there, get if you were, so tried to subscribe to this, what did you get? We want to hear. And real quick before we go further, since we know what Brian was doing, Tim, did you subscribe to anything? Oh, I did. I, I was I was not kidding. It's that I've subscribed to Amazing Spider-Man and Avengers way long ago. Actually, I got them not through the back of the comic, but from a band fundraiser. They are selling subscriptions to magazines. And guess what? They had subscriptions to Marvel Comics. Talk to folks into getting a couple of those. That was pretty awesome. Nice. Um, I did subscribe <clears throat> to the Fantastic Four for a little bit. I think I also subscribed to Alpha Flight for a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's, those are what I had there, but also, uh, you know, by contrast, it's like that was back in 1979 when I got amazing Spider-Man Avengers and I'm still buying those main titles monthly to this day. So, you know, (laughs) it started a very, very dark path for me. (laughs) (laughs) Patterns were set early. Yes. Yes. I can't, I just can't quit them. Yeah, I did one too. I did one, but around that time after I got it, I was I found they had a comic store near me now, and well, the comic was not mailed flat; it was always bent or folded in some way, shape, or form. Well, that could be more the mailman's fault than Marvel. And they usually came sometimes a week or even two weeks after the issue came out. Mm-hmm. So it's I right. think I remember yeah, that. Yeah. I think I remember that, which is why I stopped doing it because I could yeah. just get it sooner if I just went to the comic store and bought it. Yeah. And it was Power Pack, of course. Of course. Nice. 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 Around the time of Inferno. Uh, Oh, yes. Yes. But we are not talking about Power Pack, because then Jeff and Rick would sue us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, about the time of Inferno, that meant then you that after that, if it it might have bridged over into the after. uh, Wheezy and Bogdanov era which 
would not have been the best era. But I think it was over by that point. Okay, it ended right, somewhere right. which, by time the Bogdanov stuff ended. Okay, that's that's somewhere great. Somewhere in the forties. But yes, yeah, so back to Marvel Spotlight number twenty-six. Mm-hmm. Spawn, the most mysterious superhero of all, the Scarecrow, spine-chilling spectacular, spine chilling spectacular. Is he a man or a demon born in the darkest pits of hell? Death Quest. Are we sure this isn't a '90s cover? I was gonna say. <laughs> Death Quest. That is perfect '90s. That is a very '90s title, a hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. No. We had talked last time about how many cap, like little captions they had on the uh, cover for Dead of Night number 11. They had three there, and they have three on this one. So they are not giving up on their, you know, as many captions as possible. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they think this character is awesome, apparently. Yeah. Well, someone someone does. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that uh, in a little <laughs> bit. But I'm going to um, – I have two issues with this cover. Okay. Um, one, the copy editor in me is screaming that the uh, the the caption on the left side of the cover is he a man or a demon born in the darkest pits of hell? And okay, that's all lovely. And of course, we put a big old exclamation point on hell, even though this is a question. And the copy editor in me is like is like having like a conniption. So there's that. There's that to start with. Okay, punctuation. So we're starting with that. Foul. So we're starting with that. Gotcha. We're starting with the punctuation foul. Well, maybe it's supposed to be because there is the lo- here's the thing. It says, is he a man, dash dash, or mm-hmm. a demon, dash mm-hmm. dash, born in the darkest pits of hell. So mm-hmm. if it was just straight up demon born in the darkest pits of hell, it'd be a question. But I think they're saying either way, man or demon, he is born. In the darkest pits of hell. So, okay, I, I, I see what you're saying. So what you are saying in their defense is that they lost the thread of the grammar halfway through the sentence. Bingo. But because they okay. lost the thread of it, it actually could work. <laughs> and and my other issue is uh, truth in advertising here. Okay, I'm a young man, hot-blooded young man. And I'm going to presume that that is our um, – and we, last year we, we we spoke in glowing terms of um, powerful, ass-kicking female Harmony Maxwell, the heroine of our trio. As far as I'm concerned, this is uh, Jess, Dave, and Harmony issue number two. Yes. Um, but, uh, uh, so I'm going to assume this is Harmony Maxwell. And here on the cover, she's, um, she's wearing, shall we say, a, a rather appealing top. Um, that she's not wearing inside. And if I'm a, a, a hot-blooded young man who is uh, lured into buying this comic uh, as part with that as part of the uh, promise that it's giving me, I'm feeling a little betrayed. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I, I can understand. I can understand your sentiment. Actually, I don't. That does not bother me because I know that they're going to be that. Well, you know, she probably changes outfit all the time. Here, Fair. honestly, which is true, I, which is true. But I will call I'm, out that the color of her top is bright red, and that's not her color. Her color is pink. This is this is that, true. I remember I that from really, last year as well. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's the only thing that jumped out at me. It's like, wait, wait, where's her pink? But then she mm-hmm. wears pink on the inside of the book. Okay. Well, all right. Plus, plus she's got remember this. It's it's she's completely off model. I mean, I'm a big old animation fan, and you know, uh, I'm screaming mm-hmm. at the screen all the time. You know, such and so and so is off model. She's completely off model. She's got a little flip going in her hair. That's not our Harmony Maxwell. No, mm. Surrey Bob. No. Well, different artists this time. Everyone's different on the creative team except for the writer. Mm-hmm. That's true. That is and true. Speaking yeah. of that, let me give yep. everyone the brief synopsis and the care and the credits, and then we will be right back. Maybe a promo too, real quick. 
Probably something involving Tim. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Marvel Spotlight number 26. Death Waters of the River Styx. Writer, Scott Edelman. Artist, Ruben Yandok. Colors, Petra Goldberg. Letters, Tony San Jose, credited as San Jose. Editor, Marv Wolfman. Cover art, Howard Chaikin and Al Milgram. Cover dated February 1976. On sale date, November 18, 1975, with a cover price of 25 cents. You can find this reprinted in Eclipso number 61, which was a 1977 French reprint, Legion of Monsters hardcover from 2007, Essential Marvel Horror Volume 2 from 2008, Dr. Strange, Lords of Fear trade paperback from 2018, and the Marvel Horror Omnibus from 2019. Demons that worship Calamai have appeared on Earth through the Scarecrow painting. They go to a local police station in order to collect the Horn of Calamai, in the possession of the police following the death of its former owner, Gregor Rovic, the creatures kill a few police officers to try and gain the horn and end up fighting the Scarecrow. The Scarecrow defeats the monsters and takes back the horn and tries to take it back into the painting, which is in Jess Duncan's apartment. But the horn doesn't make it through. Jess and his fiance Harmony return home and find the horn. They are also suddenly visited by Dave, Jess's brother, who is all exhausted for some unknown reason. They all decide to check out an exhibit of a giant deep-sea fish that is on display at the local aquarium. Harmony takes the horn with her. There, they are attacked by more demons sent by Calamai to retrieve the horn. Harmony is trapped in the room with the demons as Dave disappears, and Jess can only watch through the window of, of a locked door. The Scarecrow appears and battles the demons. During the fight, the straw man smashes open the aquarium tank and uses his magical powers to create a whirlpool that swallows all the demons and fish up. The Scarecrow then leaves as mysteriously as he enters, leaving Jess and Harmony to wonder about the Scarecrow's true identity. Meanwhile, in another dimension, Calamai watches in bitter frustration over the whole failed mission, and vows that one day soon, he will destroy the Scarecrow. The Justice League wouldn't help him, so Batman formed a new team. These people of power are all looking for something, be it their past, or a purpose, are simply somewhere to fit in. These are the heroes for a troubled age. They are the Outsiders. We are the Outsiders. Oh, we are the Outsiders. Covering Mike W. Barr's 1983 series from the very beginning as they face villains no other team can, like Agent Orange. The Force of July, and the Nuclear Family. <laughs> Puns. This is The Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Look for us with The Huntress Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or listen at our website, thehuntresspodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at BatOutcasters. We are The Outcasters, because to live outside the law... You must be honest. Alright, and we're back. So, we have Stan Lee presents the Sinister Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Death Waters of the River Styx. Gotta love these titles back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now it's the, at least a little better than Enter the Scarecrow. 
so now we have we have three dudes um crawling out of the painting and i just want to get right off the top that immediately i have dubbed them um the one in front i'm dubbing abomination because he's got the bumpy head like uh the abomination yes. does yeah if you're the, one, the hair yeah the one behind him to the right I mean, to the left, I'm calling uh, the gargoyle because I couldn't think of anything else clever to call him. And the one all the way in the back who's current, who at the bottom of the page in the big panel at the bottom of the page is coming out of the painting. I'm calling the uh, troll because, well, the hair. It's like a troll. So abomination, gargoyle and troll. Those are our three heroes. Ignore that. All righty, then. So those are our three (laughs) heroes. Uh, here in Death Waters of the River Styx. Sure, they're our heroes. Why not? Everyone's coming out of this damn painting. They're not our heroes? They're not, they're not, they're not the, um... That's not Jess. No. Or Dave or or Harmony. Harmony. No. But I wonder if they're meant to be analogs. Can we find parallels? No, no, let's not even. No, No, let's not even try. (laughs) So, first thing about this series, this issue I noticed, I think we're missing an issue. Because I feel like, writing reading this book, I feel like we kind of, it's like he had written the Scarecrow, like he had the Scarecrow series written already. Like he was ready to go, but they just didn't do it. So issue one became the Dead of Night 11. And it's like issue two was like a follow-up and like a setup for the next one. And then three is the next battle. And because now he was just getting these one-shots, he just said, well, let's do three, because three is the big fight issue. That could be. It It feels like... It feels like we're missing stuff. Like, like that second page when the cops are talking is like, "Hey, Riley, get your aspirations over here." I'm like, I was, I had to go back and look. I'm like, did I miss something? Like, who's Riley? What asp? What's he? Like, he's referring to something that was happened a few minutes before. But I'm like, but we didn't Boom. get it. No, you know what, Al? That you, 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 you hit it right out the gate. That is a problem I have throughout this issue. Very disappointing. Because I, as 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 those who will go back and listen to our uh, special episode of a year ago on Dead of Night number eleven, people will hear in that that I was very pleased with that issue and I really enjoyed it and I wanted to see more of the characters. And it was I kept bringing up in that episode I kept bringing up that it was a stylistic choice that it felt like lived in it felt like we were we were like joining an in progress series ten episodes in but in that issue it worked in this issue that sort of sense like that stuff has happened that we have just not been privy to is is not handled nearly as well. And it, it actually looks like mistakes or editorial brute force. And I'll, as we get to them, I will point out various examples, but the upshot of all of it is going to be this, uh, this issue uh, is, is very, very difficult to like for, for exactly the reason that you just articulated Al. And, and this page two here with the aspirations is, but the tip of the iceberg. And that's something that makes sense to me is that like it was supposed to be issue three and they're like, well, we're not doing a series. So just pick the best one. It's like, all right, this is be- this is more exciting. There's more stuff that happens here because, yeah, I feel like I just picked up, you know, I'm like I reading. I'm like, oh, I got to get issue two eventually to find out what happened. <laughs> Good luck finding it. <laughs> that would almost make me wonder if they if they even had more of a logistical problem of. Did they have issue two and it got lost? That that could be again. I don't know how yeah. you guys are mm. reading this. I don't know in what form you guys. I are am reading on Marvel this. Unlimited. Okay, uh, I'm using my eyes. 
I well, <laughs> a a a time honored and effect proven effective uh, method. That's I'm that's one the actual, that's one that typically works for me. My ears sometimes miss some details, so I try not to do that. I'm reading the uh, I'm reading the issue, the paper <clears throat> issue in total. And nice. a number of a number of uh, 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 sort of points of backstory as far as how this came to be are uh, revealed on the letters page. Nice. Uh, which I don't know if that mm-hmm. was uh, scare mails, which I do not know if that was reprinted no. in the uh, on on Marvel Unlimited. Um, so they print a, a, a handful of letters responding to uh, Dead of Night number 11, and they are pretty universally uh, positive, although there's one here from Richard Rudit, Rudnitsky, Ph.D., professor of clinical psychology, no address given. And he saw all. So he's got to be legit. Well, let me tell you what that guy <laughs> saw in Dead of Night number 11 was something else. If I can just quote to you a, a snippet of his Go letter. Go ahead. Okay. Away. Regardless, hats off to Scott Edelman, the author of this profound psychological essay. Obviously, Mr. Edelson, Edelman has an extensive background in psychoanalytic theory. The exemplification of the prototypical authoritarian father figure in the guise of a scarecrow. The frustrated cathexis of libidinal energy toward the calumai, ingenious, and his subtle Freudian overtones are all but too apparent to the trained reader. I'm still stuck on the cathexis. How do I spell that? I'm trying to look it up. (laughs) Cathexis. I'm sorry. I think this person got a high school degree in thesaurus <laughs> reading. <Yes. laughs> that, I'm telling I, you, man, high school degree and a thesaurus and you are good to go with that particular review. But that's, you so, know, I, but anyway, if the point apologies, is, if, if, if the letter writer is out there listening to this, please feel free to chime in. So the, the point is, whoever's oh, writing, God, the, yes. So whoever's writing the responses here in the, um, on the letters page it might be a uh, Marv Wolfman who was editing this issue. I don't know, but, uh, he wrote, uh, whoever it was wrote at the end after the last letter, they write um, the second story of our straw man's adventures. The first being, for those of you who missed it, in the pages of Dead of Night number 11 was originally supposed to be the scarecrow number one. But a few months back, when we underwent a slight cutback of our mystery line, we decided to play it safe with this shock star and slowly test for sales before thrusting him forth in his own title. If the sales figures of Dead of Night 11 and, of course, this issue of Marvel Spotlight warrant it, the Scarecrow may get his own title in the not-too-distant future. All it takes is a little patience and a lot of sales. So it's entirely possible, Al, that you are correct because they don't say mm-hmm. we just reprinted that the Scarecrow number one here in Marvel Spotlight number 26. They just said they had a, Mar- a Scarecrow number one. So you could absolutely be right, uh, Al. Mm-hmm. Um, not every only only Marv Wolfman knows for sure. And, you know, well, and probably Scott Edelman. Yeah. And Scott Edelman. So anyway, <laughs> but, but it's a fair it's a fair speculation is my point. But anyway, yeah. I just wanted to get that on get that out there once i wrap my brain around that it was a little easier to read the issue because i mean granted i was so it felt like there was everything was fine and perfect but at least then i can kind of get with like what was wrong with it and why it mm-hmm. read that right because mm-hmm. it felt like i was missing an issue and once i was like oh yeah I'm missing an issue then you i just read it like 
you know, you used to read stuff back in the day where you were getting back issues or something. It's like, well, I can get issue one and three and five and eight and nine. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's all I got. But I think there will be a few details later on in this issue that may put a bit of a of a that may uh, prove a little bit of a counterpoint to your uh, theory. But we'll get to that. We'll get yes. to that. So they're murdering. So so our heroes are murdering some cops as as one does. Yes. As heroes are wont to do. As heroes are wont to do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like of those, oh, yeah. And of those and of the cops in there, it's like there's two in the background when the one in front says, hey, Riley, get your aspirations up here, which is a so, oh. nice, uh, nice, nice verbiage there to, to avoid the real word that he used. Exactly. Like, now, how, which it. one is now Riley? It. Which one is Riley? We don't know. Yeah, which one right away. Oh, I have issues with the art. Both uh, penciling and inking were done by someone named Ruben Yandok. And as much of a fan as I was, as I was of um, Rico Rival's art in uh, and sto- visual mm-hmm. storytelling in Dead of Night Number Eleven, like I am equally um, unenchanted by the uh, visual storytelling stylings of Ruben Yandok here in Marvel Premiere Number Twenty Six. Yeah, what are you? What are your thoughts, Al, on the artwork in this particular issue? Oh, I think we lost him. Did we lose Al? We lost Al. Nice, uh, <laughs> nice I try, Timothy. Oh, I hit the mute Jesus. button. <laughs> really, Dang Al. you, Mephisto. Really, Al. <laughs> so, um, real quick, by the way, on uh, the Battle Cry 2020, you're on Ruben Yandok. So he was one of the Filipino artists that came over in the 70s. Yeah, he mostly did, looks like he did a lot of DC stuff there. Like a lot of the war books and the the horror books, because I'm seeing a lot of like House of Mystery, Weird Mystery Tales, House of Secrets, mm-hmm. etc. Right. Well, it might for those a lot of those were anthology books, so we might have only done like, uh, you know, eight pages in a lot yeah. of those issues. And here he had a full sized issue to cover, so this might have been more of a challenge for him. So the art, yeah, no, I was not as thrilled with the art. I mean, Jess seemed fine, but Harmony seems like a little bit off. Her uh, her face, her features seem too small for her face. Well, okay. Uh, since since we are bringing up that specific point, I'm going to point it out. Um, you have to go to um, hmm, see the thing is. Let me see. Uh, what story page is it? I, I have to count two, three, four, five, six, nine. Okay, so on story page ten, which starts with the scientists talking about and all the food we catered in for the press. Oh, if yes. you uh, want to. Okay. Right. Yes. Harmony's face in issue two. And I mean, in panel two, that is not a face that Harmony has in any other panel in this um, issue. Now, just real quick, when I was a teenager and I first encountered Alan Davis and I fell in love with his art like hard and you know how it is. You, you fall in love with something and then you scramble after the fact to articulate why it is that you are so enchanted by this thing. So I, mm-hmm. you know, was, was reading Excalibur and all that. And I'm, and I'm saying, why do I love Alan Davis's art so damn much? And then it like at some point it dawned on me. One of the things that I loved so much about his art was that unlike so many other comic book artists, even ones that I liked at that time, back in the eighties, Alan Davis's faces were consistent it's like you looked at kitty or rachel or kurt in any given panel and it was the same face even if it was from a different angle that that person had bone structure whatever in a different 
panel or a, diff- a different issue. And I realized at that time how inconsistent other artists at that time, even good artists, were. And this right here is an extreme example of the opposite. How as long as you match the coloring on the hair and the clothes, they just figured the, that will fix it for me, even though my actual faces that I'm drawing on these characters are nothing alike from panel to panel. Yeah. Now it looks like this is early in his career. Cause like I said, he was doing stuff starting in the mid seventies and a lot of stuff at DC he was doing was like those shorter store anthology books. So I'm wondering if this is also an issue of being early in his career and having to do a whole issue, like Tim said, as opposed to just eight pages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could be, it might have really been a little like much for him so soon. Yeah. I really like what you're talking about there, though, uh, Brian. But and but even I'm not sure if I if I I'm thinking that as much about how he's handling Harmony's face, but just in general, it's like eh, she does not look like the same Harmony that we had from before. It just does not oh, right. come off across. She does not look, um, you know, she's uh, she she's not as attractive as Harmony from. Um, dead right, of night. But just, but just so, look at page five. Look at story page five where she's talking to Jess. It's like, okay, there's the top two panels. Okay, they're a little more similar to each other than that one, but neither one of those mm-hmm. faces resembles the one we just saw on page 10. <laughs> right. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's well, I, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, and then the page where um, Dave is just passed out on the sofa and mm-hmm. they're looking down at him. It's like that that face for harmony on panel one's like, ugh. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes. It just yeah. looks bad. I'm sorry. It just or, looks yeah, bad. It, it seems like actually and actually looking back, because I just look back real quick at Dead of Night, and Jess and Dave seem a lot closer to where they looked than she does. Right. So again, I'm going I'm wondering about early in career, maybe one of his one of the things he was still working on was uh women mm-hmm. drawing Indeed. women drawing their Indeed. faces so Indeed. he was he had a bit more of a handle on the guys but on her i mean to be fair one two three four five, on that same page panel six is a little bit closer to what she was before mm, not fully, yeah. but it's closer yeah it's closer but yeah but I he's still... not got it fully but no. back to page three so the yes, scarecrow shows up. I know, right? We we just we just started flying all over the place. No, but real quick, uh, uh, or or That's or why just, I do synopsis. I know, right? Um, page three, the scarecrow shows up. He confronts the three, uh, the three uh, amigos. The uh, three amigos. Good, I like that. Yes. yes. So he confronts the three amigos, and we get the caption. And this is going to be a thing that plagues me throughout the rest of this issue, at least up to a point. And I think you both will know what I'm talking about. We get a caption to run forward at the playing of unearthly pipes. And I'm literally like, what in the unholy bleepity bleep are they talking about? <laughs> it took me a little while to figure out what they were talking about the pipes, too. I thought at first they were saying that, like, that's a noise that Scarecrow was making, too. I'm like, that was my best laughing. guess at the meaning of it. But it made no sense. Yeah. And no. again, that's something that would have made sense if, like, there was a setup issue in between with like seeing Harmony and Dave and just dealing with what happened last time while the cult is setting up their next plot. Yeah. I, and then uh, I would have known what the pipes were, but this way it's like, what pipes? What are we talking about? Are the scarecrow doing pipes? I don't see him playing pipes. Is Pan in the background dancing around? <laughs> well, and I don't want yeah. this to turn this into just bash the issue 
completely. So I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm fine okay, with that. All right, go right. ahead. No, but go well, ahead. Sim- similarly, <laughs> I'm the in the same way that you were talking about before about the storytelling of our artist, um, the scarecrow standing in a window with his hands on his hips. I'm no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that is, that is just not the character that we were, that we were introduced to. Right. He's no, right. he's, he's manic. He, he is not, he is not Superman with straw. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, no, and that's a good and that's an excellent point. And and you're right, that resembles and that I have to say, again, knowing what we know about the Marvel method of creating comics in 1975, Mm -hmm. that's that is uh, uh, a very good like that has to go to the artist that has like because I'm sure the Mm -hmm. plot said the scarecrow appears and confronts them. And this was how Ruben Yandok interpreted the scarecrow appears and confronts them. And as you say, this bears zero body language or character resemblance to the scarecrow we got in the last issue we saw him in. Yeah, he's more of an inhuman thing, not like you said, Superman. Yeah, this is not Captain America showing up, telling them, Mm -hmm. put that stuff down, citizens. I wonder if Ruben even got a chance to see the previous issue. I'm, I'm not going to say like it was a choice. I'm thinking maybe he didn't, maybe he didn't would, really see it. I would place That's money possible. on no. I would place money on no because the first panel of the yeah. next page, the scarecrow is still just standing in the middle of the room laughing. Mm-hmm. Like for whatever reason, like. It's almost more like the Joker. Or the like Creeper. Early 70s Joker. Or the Creeper. Or Creeper, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good one right. too. Mm-hmm. Now. I will say, though, if we're talking about things that are the same or different, I will say, and while that was the writing when we were talking about the stuff with the, the pipes, like because that, that was confusing, that obviously can't be put on the uh, artist. That's all on the writing. But at least character-wise, Harmony is still pretty much Harmony. I mean, when they attack later on, Harmony does not waste time going, oh, my God, what's happening? She starts beating the crap out of people. So True story. True story. I did Absolutely. love that part, that Harmony does not change from being Harmony. And again, that's the the best thing you can say about this uh, this issue is at least as far as um, being Jess, Dave and Harmony issue number two, it's not a complete loss. Like we do get those three characters in some recognizable form. So, yeah, although the whole thing with Dave, like almost coming in, passing out and losing his memory does feel like something that's happened already that we missed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, which that could didn't be. really happen in the last time. So it's like, wait, where did that happen before? How is yeah. what I miss? If I was going to no prize it, I would attest it to the fact that both Dave and Jess got knocked out in the last story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's it, were they leading to a subplot of them of him having memory loss or or concussion problems from that trauma? I don't know. Uh, that's, that's really that's really working hard on my part to fill that in through right. amigos. Right. <laughs> yes. I, I gotta say, one of the things that I had a strange thought on is more than the scarecrow, was this perhaps a precursor to Marv Wolfman's 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 Marv Wolfman's <laughs> Night Force? Was he where you know usually you have like a super the supernatural leader and the three humans who kind of like also are part part of the adventure it's like hmm i mean maybe it played some part in the gestation of night force i mean he wasn't the editor of the first issue 
of that of Night Eleven. No, no, he so wasn't. He, right. That was Len Wein. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he was still involved well, in this one, so that might have you know, helped in Len the gestation Marv. of Night Force. Let Len Marv were two sides of the same coin. Everybody knows that. You never saw what? They, Did you ever see both of them together? <laughs> Well, Len did wear glasses a lot, and Marv didn't. So, and who said um, that beard was? And who said that beard was real? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just saw some parallels there. I just saw some parallels there between the between with the three characters, our our three our three heroes there. So, it definitely thematically is kind of could it's going towards the same direction. I mean, it would have been yeah. if this had kept going, it kind of would have been in that direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the scarecrow pro- was a, probably as a forthcoming and i, I, bet, if I, I bet if i read more tomb of dracula yeah if i'd read more if i'd read really any tomb of dracula i might have more of a parallel there too you know because mm-hmm. mars mars writing on that too so yeah, well, i could see that tomb of, tomb of dracula though was dracula really was the antagonist to the to the characters uh-huh. and the characters other characters were antagonists to yeah, him so true. there wasn't really a team this one does have like a supernatural type person like uh baron winters that's his name Exactly. Mm-hmm. And he is as forthcoming with information as the Scarecrow is. Right. Although I think the Scarecrow cares more about their lives than their winters did about his people. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that, so, yeah, my thought there is just that if any, uh, that I kind of wonder if Marv lobbying to get this story into Marvel Spotlight was because he just liked the themes of it. And, and, and maybe it was like also like percolating in his own head about something like Night Force in the future. Anyway. Um, so I just, I just like seeing the, the, the parallels there and like how the creative process works for him on them. That joke at the bottom, uh, that bad joke Dave makes at the bottom of that pa- uh, that page, by the way. Uh, Dave we, made a bad joke? Get out. I know. Where he says, when uh, Jess says, are you sure you're feeling all right, Dave? And she replies, Jess, aside from not remembering what I was doing an hour ago, I'm as fit as UL Gibbons. See, that's a reference. That, that's a dated reference. Yes, mm-hmm. so I had to look that up. So did I. Yeah, I did too, and I yeah. did too. Yes. Outdoorsman and early health food advocate, promoting eating wild foods during the 1960s. But did you see when he died? Yes, the month after this was released, he died. Uh, yeah, he died. This came out in 75. Still, oh, that was seven. Oh, that's uh, it was. Right. It's dated February 76. I've that's seen what I'm thinking the, of. I've but seen it would have been the out before. Release date as November '75, and Ewell Gibbons uh, passed away in December of '75. That my mistake. I, I was thinking of it mm-hmm. as a joke because he was dead already, but he wasn't. He was still alive. Although it does kind of ironically work that he is as fit as Yeah, no, that was then. that was. Yes. Damn, you beat me to it, Al. Because yeah, we all because we all looked it up and we're all sitting on that one. Like he died the month after it came out. I just like the fact that he was like the grape nuts man from yes. that period. Yes, and from '74. That... Yeah. And what he's talking about is like is now called the paleo diet or the caveman which, diet, which, I, which I have done, which I have done, by the way. Yeah. And I can actually mm-hmm. recommend it. Uh, it, it. It's it's very oh, yeah. uh, it's very um, beneficial and and useful. Nice. But now a, a couple of quick things here uh, going back a, a couple of pages is uh, I, I and again, this is just playing into my own like the theme I keep hitting of just. You know, uh, not just that we maybe missed an issue, that maybe there was an issue that got written and then canned and then not 
like compensated for when this issue was put out. But just I think this issue is just very sloppily written as well, because it isn't until now that we get this whole, you know, the, the, the scarecrow goes into the painting and he drops the horn. And only then are we informed. And this would have been helpful to know a couple of pages ago that the horn was in the custody of police because they'd taken it from the corpse of Gregor Rovic. And so the police had the horn, and that's why the three fiends came out of the painting, completely just walked straight out of Jess's apartment, which nonplussed me at first because you'd think, oh, my God, they're in the apartment of Jess uh, Duncan. They're going to want to ransack the place or look for things or blah, blah, blah. No, they just left and went straight to the police station. Why was that? I have no idea. Oh, here, all these pages later, now they're going to let me know. It's because they'd taken the the horn from the corpse and they were in the custody of it, and that's what the three things were looking for. Now I get it. A little late, Edelman. A little late. <laughs> my my question about that is kind of like from last time when we have all those cultists showing up. It's like, did they wear these clothes on the subway or did they just get dressed in the hallway? <laughs> is this like, did these guys, like, did they lock the door behind them? Because, like, when Jess shows up in the apartment, every, you know, comes back to the apartment, it's like he's not behaving like anything's weird. Yeah, no, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's true. Although, to be fair... To be fair, it's mid-70s. Maybe people were not as into locking their homes back then as we are now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know. They're living in New York in the 70s, mid-70s. I mean, I wasn't – well, actually, at this point, I was bare, I was just around <laughs> Yeah. for a few months yeah. now. But, I mean, from what I've seen and read, it's not like New York in the 70s was the nicest and safest place. No, that's so true. Think, that's true. You know, if they were living on the burbs somewhere, I could see them not locking the doors maybe. But if they're living in an apartment in New York City, he probably should be. Yeah, no, that's – If I I can just – a little point of order. On page two, the last panel, they do have the caption saying, these fiends seek the horn of Kalumai. Well, right, right. Okay, so that's that's fair. That still doesn't explain why they just like wound up at the police station so quickly. No, I, I, but you're I right. completely no, and I completely agree with that. That's some that I think there was just uh, sloppy as mis- all. It's just mis- sloppy. sloppy mistake yeah. in the storytelling for them to because when the scarecrow shows up, it doesn't even really look like it's the police station anymore. It's like right, how many true. police stations have windows that open? Yeah, big old <laughs> big like old that. picture windows. Yeah. Oh wait, I forgot. Know. I forgot that. Batman might be coming in any minute. Never mind. No. Never and mind. that desk with uh, like the painting above it. Yeah, it looks like right. that. That was drawn to be Jess's apartment still. Yeah. Good yeah. Because look That's at like thing. Page, look at that first uh, page two, that first panel. Mm-hmm. Like look at that office, and then you jump ahead to, and then they go, then you see him walk to the police station, and you go to the next page, and that panel we're talking about, the scarecrow showing up. It looks like the same, more or less, the same office. Yeah. I you don't know. know. Yeah, and, I don't. I don't know. They got their. I think their wires got crossed about. Or something was like told, like the the artist was told the last minute. No, quick, put in a thing with the police, and had to slip <laughs> it in later. I just, it's 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 dumbfounding even having those panels for the police station involved. I, yeah, and then playing into Al's theory about missing an issue. So when uh, Jess and Harmony are are back, and Harmony sees the horn on the ground, her reaction is, "Jess, looks here. I think we've been paid a visit." And like, okay, from that, I'm getting that she knows that that's sort of evidence of the scarecrow being active at some point mm-hmm. while they were gone. Mm-hmm. Right. But again, yeah. her mm-hmm. being comfortable enough to re- reference it in that 
casual a manner does seem to indicate that there has been water under the bridge since we last interacted with these characters. And that just really lends credence to Al's theory. Yeah, if it had been written a bit more like the last issue, then this could have been played. This could have still worked as like the next, you know, like we missed a few issues, like since there were several months in between. Like, yeah, you missed a few issues in between because that's what would have happened in those months. Right. But unfortunately, it wasn't written to be as introductory as Dead of Night 11 was. Right, right. And two two just quick little data points that are on this page, the same page, um, that that um, will under underlie uh, a point I'm going to make in the near future. Uh, one is that uh, when she said, what, what do you expect from an art critic? Harmony says, I guess that means she's an art critic. She's referring to herself as an art critic. And then also Dave yeah. stumbles in and mm-hmm. just says, what is my older brother? Uh, what brings my older brother around in the middle of the night? Now, let's go to the next page. And Dave says, my God, I didn't realize it was this late. We'd better get going. I have an invitation to the opening of an aquatic exhibit of the first deep, deep sea fish in captivity. And then they go there. I thought it was the middle of the night. Well, that was yeah. why no one else showed up. Sloppy writing, sloppy writing. That's why that no one awesome. else showed up. It's in the middle of the night. It's like, yeah, we send invitations to all the major magazines, newspapers, radio stations. But you're the only ones who showed. Because oh, it's the middle of the night, I guess. 3 a.m. Yeah. Well, we have we have sleeping. lots of questions about those scientists in the first place. So <laughs> <laughs> if that's that really who trouble. you are, yeah. Speaking of which, on that first page where you first see the giant devil fish or whatever it is, that guy all the way in the bot in the middle on the bottom, is it just me? Or does that look like the chief with blonde hair from Doom Patrol? Oh, hold on. Hmm. 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 Oh. Interesting. He is in a chair. Yeah. Hmm. Now it doesn't look like an action not far chair. Off. He's not. No, it doesn't look like an action chair that that way. But not far off. Be- before we get too deep into that, I did want to call back. Really, probably you both all already know this better than I do. Um, before we switch to that scene on page six, when uh, Jess and Harmony are coming into the apartment, and we just see their shadows, and Jess says. Oh, yeah. Don't care what you say, Harmony. That Kaufman is a funny guy. Yeah. I, I'm assuming that's Andy Kaufman. I'm going but, to yep. guess that they were at either a stand up show or a movie. Mm hmm. That's my thinking. I think it was. Yeah. A, I, well, it could have been. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if he really did many movies back then, but he definitely was probably doing stand up. This might have been mm-hmm. still a little bit before he was on Taxi. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also doing bits on Saturday Night Light Live. Ooh, yeah, Maybe that's, what well, they were, that's where ooh. they were. Which would, which, well, was he was he that early on? Because like Saturday Night Live had just started at the point at this point. I mean, this yes. is again, this is released in Maybe, November yeah. of seventy five. According um, to Wikipedia, after working in small comedy clubs in the early seventies, Kaufman came to the attention of a wider audience. In 1975, when he was invited to perform portions of his act on the first season of Saturday Night Live. Okay, okay. So, well, that was because Taxi be they... was 78. I mean, for him at least. Yeah. Yes. So that would have explained how that would have. Ex- so, so Marvel would have expected its nationwide audience to know who Kaufman, the what the Kaufman was a reference to. And oh yeah. Also These, the readers because... of Marvel Spotlight are definitely got their fingers on the pulse. Of <laughs> oh, <yeah>. pop culture. <laughs> well, definitely. Plus, also, I mean, odds are Scott Edelman was living in New York, so he might have just known about Andy Kaufman anyway and just threw it in there, even if he wasn't on Saturday Night Live yet when it was written. 
because write what you know. And so now, oh, by the way, here we learn that Jess is, I guess, an art, an actual artist, because Harmony uh, uh, right. says, you know, he, well, he says to Harmony, you're, that's why you've always hated my paintings. So I guess he's an artist, which would have been nice to know in the last issue. Why, like, 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 I thought he was just like a collector or an investigator of the supernatural, but he was after that painting for what professional jealousy or something? I don't know. But the point is that was mm-hmm. not data I gleaned from the last issue. No, He's not at all. That. And he he had money. I mean, Jess has money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Th- that's like he must be a crazy successful artist. In which case, why is he or, buying other people's paintings? Or or he's coming from money. Art is something that is pursued by a lot of ah, um idle idle scions of uh upper crusty uh you know what so right right i forgot the i forgot the cardinal rule of artists you know how to make a small fortune in artwork right start no. with a large fortune yeah oh, i go. like it i like it <laughs> although again technically that goes whole- technically that starts for owning horses but you know that's different. <laughs> it works for that's, that's that's my wife told me for is horseback horse ride uh, horse owning so yeah although this does go again with what i said last time is uh, why is dave the older brother because jess shows every sim visual and you know personality quirk of being the older brother he looks older from one True. thing he's the one mm-hmm. with gray hair he also is the one that seems more established and has more of a light like he's all set up in life like he's been you know he he looks like someone who's in his mid-40s who already did all his stuff and he sold art or he dealt with the investments from his family's money and made his life money dave seems like he's still struggling and looks a lot younger so like well to it's be still fair, the thing that bothered me from last time. It's like, why is Dave the older brother? To be fair, like my younger brother um, has, uh, on several occasions, grown a beard, or at the very least, this <laughs> these I called them uh, his ridiculous Wilford Brimley mutton chops. Um, and uh, <laughs> since I shave my head, um, he's definitely sporting more gray hair than I am. So he is my younger brother, but he might present to many people as the older brother if we, they stood us side by side for whatever that's worth. So it's okay. not outside the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Especially oh. once you get to into those into that DA range. But actually, I think these are what do we think. Are they like in their 20s or 30s? Because uh, I'm I mean, going to my go brother 30s. and I are in our, my brother and I are now in our <laughs> 50s. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> Being able to tell who's older is different there, although I'm like, darn yeah. it, I'm sure I, I'm sure I'm still look older. Darn it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, the typical thing is like, what, 20, late 20s, early 30s for. I would comic say book that and also protagonists. This is, and also this is the late, I mean, the mid 70s when a beard like the full beard, like the kind that uh, Jess is sporting um, mm-hmm. might not be an indicator of age the way it might read to us here here that 46 mm, years later yeah. you know what i'm saying it would definitely well, be a so great looking yeah it would be a beatnik kind of look there a little bit a little bit i mean he yeah. certainly could yeah. just be like a, the, the wild child yeah, kind hippie. of a look there yeah yeah hippie what are you doing? yeah exactly get a shade I, I can see that. you know if he if it was less grayish and more a full you know regular different color it would have probably helped me yeah i yeah. agree and that's i wonder if that that might be more like the coding, though, of the artist is like the the gray is maybe there to make his hair look shiny. Yeah, maybe exactly. Across yeah. his black, shiny hair. 
that might be what they're what they were really hoping to convey. But and they did yeah, have just, more limited but, coloring back then, obviously. So. Yeah. But also, yeah, no, and, I, um, Rich, reading it digitally, it also comes. I it probably might look different even for you, Brian, because you know the di- digital, the colors come a little bit flatter. So where the yeah, paper, I mean, the paper makes it a little more subtle. It, they they really did a good job of the the colors were so good at being able to take these colors and make them look nice in well, the after still the printing looks, process. It still looks gray. It still looks gray. At this point, I'm blaming Ruben Yandok again because I get the sense that if you're going <laughs> to blame go for black. Well, no, because I get the sense that if you're going to go with black hair, that's going to be on the inker as a as a job mm-hmm. on the inker. Mm-hmm. But he was the penciler and inker, and he left. I mean, if you're looking at the just the line work, he left a lot of open uh, space in Jess's hair and beard for whatever mm-hmm. reason. So the colorist probably didn't really necessarily have a deep dark black to go. So. You know, this particular colorist chose mm-hmm. a gray or a blue gray kind of a thing in the in Dead of Night 11. Uh, the colorist chose. Well, we got a little more uh, uh, a little more um, black, a little more inking in the hair, but they chose mm-hmm. more of a blue uh, for the highlights. So I think, you know, you, you combine those two jobs and as they present here. Yeah, it looks grayer, but I still think it's meant to be like it is intended to be black hair. You know. Oh, you're, yeah, gotcha. you're right. Because I'm looking at Dead of Night right now, and yeah, his hair is a little, is darker there. He actually looks more like a, in some of these pictures in the last one. I realized it looks more. Like, it looks a bit like Kane from uh, <laughs> in some of them from uh, what's it called? Towards the end of it, at least when you don't see face full on. Yeah, yeah. or from ah, House okay. of Secrets Mystery. But anyway. So, but yeah, now so, we got our giant. So we're up to the scientists and we're up to the giant fish. And this is like such a weird giant sequence. Fish. It's like we've taken a left turn into a late 60s Fantastic Four comic just because. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when, when I was reading the thing about the fish at first and like because I'm reading on Marvel Limited, I'm doing the pa- like the, the panel view. So like it doesn't show you the whole page. So you seem like just the panel, like the, the captions. So I'm just seeing the thing, the captions about the fish before I see the fish. And it's like, if radiate slice has the phosphorescence because it was some so far down the ocean. And I'm thinking, well, I know they discovered fish like that. Maybe this was around a time that like some of that was big news. It was being, things were being found. And I'm expecting, okay, maybe not a photorealistic version, but something, you know, a couple feet long, like the average size of one of those fish. And then I get to the pit and then it showed me the fish. I'm like, what the hell is that thing? You got exactly. Namor, it looks like Giganto Namor, from uh, yes. from like Fantastic Four number four that Namor sent to like the thing had to like crawl into with an atomic bomb to kill. It's one of Namor's Leviathans. Yeah, exactly. I think he's exactly. going to be pissed when he finds out that they have his fish, and it's gone. The fish got sent to hell. Yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I also like is very contrary, and I don't mean that in, in, in a sincere way, I mean it in a sarcastic way, but what's also amusing is how the 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 uh, 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 Calumai minion demons, they don't bust into the joint, they sneak up on Harmony from behind and tap her on the shoulder. I, it's just such a weird, <laughs> like weirdly told story. It really is. She really needed to tell them that yes, she does have some uh, great poupon, and everything would have been fine. <laughs> and wait, wait. So now, don't forget. A few pages ago, we had Harmony apparently referring to herself as an art critic. Okay, 
And now here on the second page in the aquarium, uh, Jess is, oh, started a poem already, huh? Well, I might as well get oh. my sketchbook out of the car. And like this, so and now all of a sudden she's a poet. And it's like, I'm just, I just, I'm really feel like we are like deliberately, like something is being carelessly, a lot of information is being carelessly left out of the presentation here. At, at this point, it's it's not just, oh, it's a stylistic choice to make us feel like we've been dropped into this thing in media rest. And instead, it's it's much more just like, oh, you guys really for either forgot or fought with the editor so much that like you just passively aggressively just left the six most important pages on the cutting room floor, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because he does say, what else should I expect from a writer? I'm like, uh, wait, I thought she was a crit- just a critic. Now she's a writer? Yeah. I'm like, did Art she just well, no, no, first they said, no, that was that was directed at Dave. Right, because Dave's the who's magazine leaving, writer. Right? Oh, who's the, the scientist. My mistake. Yeah. I forgot about but that. Then we see, but then we see uh, Harmony with her pad and pen right there also. Yes. So it's, it's an, it's, I would even say that, no, that's a fair, that's a fair comment on how confusing the story is too, in that here's some dialogue and you're again going like, which character are we talking about? Because you don't remember that if you don't remember that Dave's a writer as he's walking off, you, you don't know who it just is more clearly a, talking to harmony because she's mm-hmm. has the, the padded paper. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, but- I, I I, I mean, I can go with the idea that Harmony has multiple gigs or is like, you know, she, she aspires to be a poet and is not and has not been successful at it yet. So she does the art critic job. But it's like what, I'm, they're making me work too hard. Right. I'm You're doing an hard, awful lot of the heavy lifting there, aren't you? Yeah, Kim? exactly. Yeah. yeah that's not there, there's a problem if I'm having, if the reader has to be doing this much work. Right. They should be yeah. filling. They should be filling those blanks in themselves. Yeah. No, agreed. <laughs> Anyone hear us? This is Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. Anyone can hear this broadcast. We need your help. We've been kidnapped and imprisoned in a tomb by this creepy old undertaker named Mr. Gravely. And he's forcing us to review his collection of Marvel horror comics. Stuff like Tomb of Dracula. Werewolf by Night. Man-Thing. Ghost Rider. And so much more. If you can hear this, please contact our families. Tell them we can be found at... You can find James and Trey every other Wednesday at the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. See you there, Tomb Believers. <laughs> at least we get to the bottom of the page, and now we finally get to like a good stuff. It's like, okay, at least it's harmony being harmony. It's like, big monster right, attacking me. Fight. But this I like I like for. her pants. I like when she's wearing her her the 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 pants instead of a skirt. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Those are much better for kicking butt than than no, a skirt. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah. The skirt is not practical at all. No, no. Um, the scarecrow shows up. Anybody else getting strong? Jack Kirby, Erdogan, um, oh, energy off of the over. scarecrow yeah. here. <laughs> he just kind of appears in midair. <laughs> just 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 saying also when the uh, scientists yeah. are freaking out we finally get a look at the piper oh wait where'd this guy come from there's a guy in the back playing pipes just not commented on all of a sudden he's just there what the actual yeah. f yeah I'm sitting like, oh, on sitting on instruments talking about <laughs> although the captions are great i love the scientists cool calculated observers bah! scientists pshaw yeah, okay, I like that. That's good. <laughs> that amused me. That. 
And and I also was mildly amused by the uh, the scientists and Dave with their bad jokes. But now that we're on the topic of the Piper, just real quick, can we just go to the bottom of the next page? And I love this. It goes, with the pronouncement of death, Bartolome closes his eyes. Look at the panel, gentlemen. Uh, right. His yeah. eyes closed. <laughs> I would say uh, not. I don't, I don't think so. But maybe his <laughs> eyelids are transparent. That's 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 also some good no I'm, prize heavy lifting there. I'm working hard here. Does guys. he sleep you with really his eyes are. open? So to and him, it's it the same like, difference. But I'll even say, like, does it even look like he's in the same room when you look at the top panel? No. Right. Right. So, like, no. it, this is not making any, what? any, any, any sense. My first time reading it is I didn't even see him in the uh, in the, in that panel you said where the, the scientists are running away. I didn't even see him there the first time reading it. So when we get to mm-hmm. the end and he's, a, you know. And he's getting sucked into the water with the fish and the demons. I'm like, wait, where did he come from? I thought I didn't know he was there. I mean, granted, we still say, where did he come from? (laughs) Did either of you look up the name Bartolome? I did not. Not. I just, I just, I just took it to be Edelman's uh, somewhat archaic um, uh, uh, evocation of the name Bartholomew, which I guess has some relation to being a piper because as i recall there was a dr seuss book uh bartholomew something or other something something the many hats of and he played a mm, pipe mm-hmm. too as i recall so there has to be some i guess some relationship there or maybe that's what they're referencing i don't know i don't know that but could, no i didn't look be. it up no that could be because there is a um that might, that might be closer to the, the finding i found which is you know the bartolome is a, a volcanic inlet in the galapagos islands yeah um but also <laughs> there's a bartolome de la casas a spanish priest from the 16th century um who is a historian and social reformer which seems like that doesn't yes yeah, so that does not sound like this character however visually I almost could buy it from the sort of tunic thingy that he's wearing that they could almost be making it seem like that character. But it's like, hey, that's again, that's a there's not a direct thing going on there. So but I was just curious. It's just interesting to see a name that as distinct as that show up and look yeah, like it's a weird hmm, one. is there something more to it than just a, a, a wordplay? So I just did, just looking at it. I would say no. But it just was an interesting exercise. For the record, I am apparently crazy because I just looked it up. And the 500 Hats of Bartholomew Cubbins by Dr. Seuss does not involve um, pipe playing in any way, shape, or form. So um, I'm going to just forget I said anything. That's it. I'll have someone edit that that out. Well, or, you know, I just think that, you know, you read a different universe's version of that book and there you pipes go there. there you go yeah you, maybe it's not your fault you switch it's not yeah it's not your fault you, you swapped universes again i'm i mean, it happens I'm slip, to you probably all the I'm time slip streaming well you know it, it does it does happen sometimes your alternate self comes into being and then um takes an entire universe into himself and you die and leave him there containing an entire universe al you know that happens all the time right yes yeah it's a wednesday <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, you're reading the Berenstein Bears instead of the Berenstein Bears. I get it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. So, um, so what I would like to know is the, the Scarecrow is a macabre ass kicker of evil, and also apparently has um, telekinetic powers to manipulate uh, 
fish and glass and water, I guess, or something. Well, fish at least. The fish yeah. match and and water or well, he has some kind of. I mean, he does have. He is a magical creature. I mean, if he fought this god Calame and beat him in prison of the dimension, he must have some kind of magical abilities. I thought he was just an ass kicker. <laughs> Real well, quick, not, not, not to get off, not to get off yeah. topic. It, it is almost ten. Mm-hmm. Will you guys still be going if I just pop off and go get my kid and come back? Entirely I, possible. Maybe. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just, just pretend I'm, just pretend I'm being very quiet, and I'll be back very soon. Okay, so carrying right. on. Okay, carrying on. So, um, for a moment, momentarily, this thing became more cool to me, because there's a panel here where it says, um, "But Jess Duncan has little to fear, for Harmony is in better hands now than she's been in most of her life, regardless of whether those hands are of flesh and blood or rags and straw." But because, again, I'm reading the, the the aged paper version here for a moment, because the print's a little unclear there. The first like I the first thing I thought I read there was rage and straw. And like, oh, I was like, oh, the scarecrow is made of rage and straw. Oh, that's cool. What does that mean? Hmm. <laughs> that actually would have been cooler for 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 one second until i realized no i misread it and it doesn't say rage it says rags but for like one solitary second like the scarecrow was like super interesting to me all of a sudden again but no i can see that we've only seen him fighting before but i guess maybe it was because i mean we can always no prize it by going well before he only needed to fight it was just people and cultists he didn't need to use magic powers now he has mm-hmm. demons mm-hmm. to deal with so and then you know uh scarecrow and, and harmony so we know that you know but um just the way he's like he's at the door and he's like pounding on the window and i just kept expecting like harmony to you know say live long and prosper and die (laughs) but there must be something more magical going on here because i mean while that whole thing about just starting to draw Mm -hmm. with like it's his hands which move almost of a sentience of their own yeah yeah like i again very sloppy but we are meant, I think we are meant to get, and again, now I'm doing the heavy lifting that Tim was doing a couple minutes ago, we're trying to fill in some blanks here. I think we're meant to get the sense that something supernatural is happening here, that, yes. that, that the scene is compelling Jess in some way beyond just simply, hey, he's seeing something cool and he's drawing it. Because he draws the scare, because we see when he finally can get in there, he draw he drew the scarecrow. When, oh, no, when he gets in, the scarecrow opens the door for him, which is kind of very polite of him. Mm-hmm, like, you can come mm-hmm, in. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Didn't mean to lock you out. And here's the thing, I think. I think that is supposed to be one of the things that would be like a mystery for the book. The problem is because of the other things that were issues, it just kind of comes across as another one of those problems. When I don't think it, and I think if the other things were done better where we didn't have an issue with those, this one would have just been like the mystery of like, well, what's going on? Right. It's just either because but compound it with everything else. Right. And you can't help but conclude that we're just seeing like I just I can't help but feel like there was like this thing's half baked. Basically, it's like I feel like for whatever reason, this thing was it was mooted like they wrote up the plot. They drew up the pages and then it was half put through some sort of editorial process, but before the editing was done, it was rushed to print. Like it's, 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 it's half baked. It's sloppy. It's just not 
not nailed down. I'm really hoping if we ever get a chance to talk to Scott Edelman, he would say something like, oh, yeah, we did Dead of Night number one. You know, the Scarecrow one became Dead of Night and it was done plenty. You know, it was done way ahead of time. And then they, I had like a week to do Marvel Spotlight because mm-hmm. that yeah. would make sense that like. Now here, though, here's here's one thing I am going to give them credit for, because I remember many, many years ago I saw Stan Lee. And I feel like I saw him say this in an actual like televised interview. But now that I'm thinking about it, it might have been in print or something. But anyway, the point is, is that Stan Lee said that even from the very beginning of Marvel Comics, like back in the 60s, he wanted to treat his readers with more respect or either that or he he had some sense that they were trying to that they were appealing to or at least trying to appeal to a slightly older demographic than the distinguished competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so either way, he said that, you know, they did not shy away from more advanced vocabulary. They did not shy away from if they wanted to say that something was, say, you know, uh, antediluvian, they would they would use the word antediluvian and trust either that their readers would know what that meant or were smart enough to go look it up and learn something from it. And to that extent, at least that ethos appears to be still alive and well here, because for whatever, I'm going to chalk it up to that sort of respect for the audience as opposed to another sloppy editing mistake. The fact that um, we get here in the captions, après moi, le déluge, said King Louis XV, while I'm here, the flood demands the scarecrow. And, you know, the fact that those are similar phrases, but not identical in meaning and you know again that that might be a thing that the reader might be um uh, motivated or incentivized to go uh investigate the meaning of i think that that is cool that that they just went with that you know what i'm saying and i will also say in that panel the fish does look the coolest it does look Absolutely. Although I do find it hilarious that, okay, the fish, the the tank has been broken, the fish, the deep sea fish, which in addition to being an underwater creature. So, okay. Oh, now it's out in the open air. It's probably going to have trouble breathing on top of that. Again, as was pointed out earlier in the, remember when we were introduced to fishy boy here, um, he was introduced as, uh, his eerie phosphorescence gained from the darkness of the depth and untold years of Lord knows how many tons of aquatic pressure per square inch. Now, all of a sudden here he is out of the tank in the open air at sea level. So that right there is a severe uh, scientific flaw that that poor uh, sap did not like basically explode instantly. Magic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what I'm, what we keep coming back to, magic. You know. Well, he Scarecrow already has water powers. Maybe he has fish keeping alive powers. I and you know what? I he guess goes to that, the carnival again. His goldfish live forever. I. Pfft. And good on him. Again, there are ways I guess you could explain this, but that you and I are having to do this work, you know, and that's that's I guess that's what. And again, you know, I'm not trying to be super nitpicky here, but Edelman or Wolfman or someone made the choice to leave the reference to tons. Lord knows how many tons of aquatic pressure in there, you know, to actually keep that bit of captioning in the 
in the uh, uh, dial no, in, in the in the is in the issue. So because that was there specifically, and like I, I, I again, it's one of those. That one's a more iffy one. Like the, the thing about just drawing and leaving the scarecrow drawing, I think is just gonna would just be a normal normally in a normal issue or like in that first issue, would have just been like a mystery of like, ooh, hopefully that's something that will be resolved as we get more scarecrow stories. Yeah, yeah. This one is halfway. It could be that, it could work that way if the issue is normal, or it could still be sloppy. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. they, but because there's the problem is because there's so much there, it's like you have to kind of figure out well which one's which. So right, which is a problem. Right. So the scarecrow wildly gesticulates, and now we get a whirlpool, and now everything gets sucked into the whirlpool. Bartolome, the submen, and the fish. Although I note that the scientists, I guess, are safe because they're hanging on to equipment for dear life. Yeah, I'm guessing. But we but, don't really uh, find out because we don't right. see them. Something, so, something else that is that is dis, uh, distinctly unclear. Maybe they got sent to hell too. Who knows? Yeah, you but know. it's kind of clear because we also, I mean, we we get told Bartolome, but we don't see him after that. What after his one page? Yeah, he is he is the weird Schrodinger's uh, villain of this of this piece it's like i get the sense that in some draft like on some level on some like early draft or mid-level draft of this story like bartolome the piper was filling that um villain of the week minion of the big bad role that gregorovic uh served in dead of night number 11 yes but didn't quite survive the process and it's just so weird like the half-assed product that we're left with here at the end you know what the other thing i'm thinking of that could be is that maybe edelman found out like was told he had it you know he wasn't getting a series yet and kind of con- the other thing that works is he kind of condensed in like three or four issues worth of story into one which i which we know for a fact has happened before and would happen again and we've seen writers do that before but if that was in fact what happened here I got to say it was done poorly. I well, mean, yeah, I'm I not don't saying about whether it was done well or in, excu- or ex- in or 10 excusing. years, in 10 plus years of podcasting on comics with you, Al, you know that I have historically been reluctant to directly criticize or ding creatives for their efforts in these works that we uh, talk about on this podcast. But I cannot come to any conclusion, having read this issue, I can't come to any other mental place other than this is just poor, poor work. It's just poorly done. The only question is, is that whose poor work are we really holding responsible for the product that we're left with at the end of the day? Is it? Like sub, is it not yet developed storytelling skills on the part of Ruben Yandok, the artist? Is it Scott Edelman being forced to make um, compromises by the commercial process or editorial demands or whatever and just not doing them that well? Is it Marv Wolfman who isn't maybe as... Um, skilled at the at negotiating the challenges of being a comic book editor in 1975 as he would be later on in his career. 
I'm not going to come down hard on any of these at this point, but I'm just saying some at for some reason we are looking at poor work here, and that's now, all I'm, I can't yes. get away from. Now it could also be Scott Edelman as our newer writer because I'm looking at his list on like the Marvel database of like what he's done. So he worked. He was on Foom eight and nine and ten before this, but that's not comic writing. That's either right. That's editing like, that's it or like, yeah, or yeah. fan or fan interviewing or whatever. Yeah. Now he did a story in Monsters Unleashed number eleven, but that's a story. He was one of several writers on Giant Size Defenders number five. Because we have the writers credited there are Steve Gerber, Jerry Conway, Robert Roger Slifer, Led Ween, Chris Claremont, and Scott Edelman. Now, are they all credited on one story, or are they credited at, for different stories in one of? Because I know those giant size, uh, giant sizes had some uh, like multiple features in them. Uh, it looks like just one story. It's listed for the one story. Wow, that's quite a stew of writers on one story. I have to exactly. say, makes me actually kind of want to read it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's Dead of Night number 11, another issue of Foom, and then this Marvel Spotlight. So it's possible for a newer writer, he might have spent way more time on Dead of Night number 11. Right, right, and right. Just, so therefore, you know, he spent like six weeks on that. You know, revised, redone, redid, talked to the editor. He might not have either by, whether it was by design or by, for, like, you know, circumstance, done that as much and like so 20 this is just kind of uh the sophomore slump right right you know, which is entirely not there yet he's not that good a writer because i mean he, i've seen like he's won well he did more writing for like tv and also for books and short stories but like he's won awards and stuff so he's become a better writer this just oh. might be also early writer biting off more than he can chew do not get me wrong. Even my favorite creatives in any endeavor have have had misstep. No one's perfect. Everybody has blemishes in their record to point to. So I'm not going to sit here and say because let's just say for the sake of argument that we sit here and we debated this another half hour and we came to the conclusion that Scott Edelman was, in fact, responsible for the um, subpar quality of this issue that we're talking about. It wouldn't I would not necessarily then conclude from, and therefore Scott Edelman is a subpar writer. Absolutely not. Like I said, everyone has, especially early in their career, everyone has, you know, stuff that they, you know, might not want to uh, might not want to uh, look back fondly on. But again, the task before us this day is parsing and dealing with the page by page reality of Marvel Spotlight number 26. Yes. And the fact of the, the inescapable fact of that matter is um, for whatever reason, this is one hot mess. <laughs> yeah. And it also doesn't help. That there's only three issues he was able to do with this character. It's not like it's one issue out of a twenty, you know, hundred issue or even a fifteen issue run. Characters, do not forget. Me and Tim apparently are enjoying uh, Jess, Dave, and Harmony more than we're enjoying the Scarecrow. Oh yeah, you know, and so and you possibly kind of, too. So yeah, and because yes, I am. And considering the kind of character he is, I think you're supposed to. Because, right. I mean, right. Scarecrow is really more of a cipher here. Right. You know, he's not really he's just the thing that shows up and vanishes. And the question is, where is he coming from? Where is he going? You know, how does he do these things? And he since he doesn't have any captions or balloons or thought bubbles, we don't get anything from him. So all right, the characterizations exactly. on those three. And to be fair, for those three, he's still doing pretty well. 
No, and and the last page here at least keeps me on the hook, as it were. The last page of the issue. Okay, we've got Dave uh, Jess and Harmony being all like, "What happened? I don't know. We may never have the answers. The world may never know." Like this sort of like sort of that's very common in horror comics or any sort of like sort of X Filesy kind of story but then we do i do like the segue from the next to last panel to the last panel of the issue harmony you know the the next last panel has just saying harmony something very wrong is going on here and then you know we 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 see uh kalumai himself wrong my freedom has been stolen again that's what's wrong but this is the last time the scarecrow will squelch my plans for when we next we meet the scarecrow dies and in a way this is a good thing it keeps me on the hook because had this issue been more skillfully rendered than it was we would have had a first issue introducing us to the concepts the characters blah 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 and then we have the second issue which develops raises the stakes just a little and then we have in the third act we have to look forward to is the final confrontation with the big bad right so yeah. there appears to have been some level of a plan here it's just this this second chapter got hashed badly for whatever reason true no agreed and of course we also have on that page the whole question about well, where is dave and i'm starting to wonder why is dave not here Hmm. Well, yeah, I think I think we covered in, in our episode of a year ago when we covered Dead of Night 11, we did uh, determine or reveal the spoiler that, in fact, whenever the Scarecrow is around, Dave isn't. Exactly. And they're picking up on that a lot quicker than Lois Lane ever did. This is also true. <laughs> well, you know, um, now just another quick uh, side, completely unrelated side note, but I, I would be remiss not to bring it up, is that um, this uh, the original issue being a mid 70s uh, big two comic book did, in fact, feature one of those delightful um, hostess ads. Ooh. And in this case, it was Spider-Man and the Kidnap Caper. In which kidnappers have kidnapped Aunt May and called Peter and told him that $50,000 of the old bat dies. And, of course, then Peter dresses up as Spider-Man and leaves them a suitcase full of Hostess Twinkies instead of $50,000 and makes off with Aunt May. Well, and that of sounds course it's, appropriate. It's completely silly and everything. And yet, because I am so sour and salty, you know, as a result of it appearing in this issue that has been challenging my savoir faire you know when spidey picks up aunt may and literally says and i quote meanwhile aunt may and i will duck out of here and i'm sitting here saying he just called her aunt may really really right in front of her her mouth is taped her ears are not stopped up come on That is all. Her name is her name is Aunt May. It's on her driver's license. <laughs> it's on her yes. <laughs> it's true. I, you're right. I had forgotten that. Aunt May. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Aunt May get Mr. hostage. Mr. But, yeah. Mrs. Aunt. No, those are right. the three options on the driver's license form. But, I'm back, by the way. Even so. Yes. Oh, hello. But even so, Welcome. even so, it's nice to see like those seeing those hostess ads in their native environment, as it were, complete with um advertisement like written up at the top in in hand in hand lettering it's charming in a way i just i don't have words for anymore you know i completely yeah. agree so tim real quick so since you're back now any thoughts on the end of the issue 
Uh, yeah, and you probably already covered it, so I'm so I apologize for repeating, retreading ground because the penultimate fight between the amigos and the scarecrow and nightmare fish. It's like, are some of these pages printed out of order? Cause I just, <laughs> yeah, sometimes... that was kind of what we were sort of like spinning around <laughs> yeah. whirlpool yeah, style, yeah. if you yeah. will. And, and did harmony totally get eaten by that fish on the top of page 15? Cause there's a woman who's wearing pink and it's a skirt and that fi- and is right in front of that fish mouth. And that fish mouth is going straight for that woman. So somebody getting eaten by the fish. Yeah, it that's a good like, question. Yeah, you're right, because I think it is out of, it looks like out of order because the scarecrow's jumping down, and then the next page, the scarecrow's back up top. That explains yeah. it. Dudes, dudes, what if? What if? Oh my god. What if we discovered? I, oh, and I'm now so convinced of this. I thought about this for five and a half seconds, and I'm now so convinced of it I would place money on it. These <laughs> penciled pages were delivered to Edelman out of order, and he scripted them in the order that they that he received them. Um, the only problem is that the whirlpool on the bottom of the next page is something that probably should have been. I, that doesn't make sense for it to be there, but. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, just know. don't know. I mean, the only thing that makes sense is that it's not, well, obviously it's not harmony, but the scarecrow jumps down with the fish, beats the guys up, then decides, oh, you know what's better? Whirlpool and jumps back up. But it's mm-hmm. still very like, wait, what's he? It's a very confused, still doesn't make sense. After, after heroically pulling harmony out of the fish's mouth, which we don't get to see. Like so much else in this issue. Yes. Which, yeah. But again, go, and, Brian could go with that whole thing I said. The other possibility is that a couple issues shoved together. And, and also, so. I think that for the whirlpool, oh, the scientists that are trapped in the water down there, oh, they totally all went to the underworld. They all, oh. they all. Yeah, we weren't, they weren't sure. Yeah. Yeah, we were speculating on that too. No, they, they totally, they're totally burning an eternal torment right now. <laughs> and you know like what? They said, scientists. Scientists, so you know scientists shrug. Mid seventy scientists in the uh, Marvel universe, you know what? They probably deserve to be. Let's be honest here. <laughs> well, it's scientists in a seventies horror story, so you know they're screwed. Yes, exactly. Well, they exactly. You know, it's either it's either get sucked down to another world or have Namor after you. It's like I, I, I'm. I'll take the whirlpool. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's true. Seventies Namor, not very friendly. Yeah. yeah. Fair point, fair point, fair point. Well, the discussion's pretty much over, so you know what that means. It's time to cover the feedback. And this time we are talking about feedback from episode 141, Death in the Atomic Age trade paperback, in which we re- uh, represented the material from episode 70, talking about Strange Tales number 3, and episode 133, talking with Ryan Daly about Amazing Adult Fantasy number 9. The post for that episode was liked and shared on Facebook by Joe Sedano, Gene Hendricks, Ruth Sutherland, and Jesse Starcher. On Twitter, it got likes and retweets from Connor McKenna, Capes and Lunatics, Viet Win, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Last Sons of Krypton, David Finn, Jason Snick Venable, Chris Lydon, Ryan Daly, John Weed's Comics Yo, Tomes of Evil, a comic book villain podcast, Moon Cthulhu, Doc Strange, Sam, Legionnaire, Deno Cosmic, and Into the Night. 
Now, besides this show, which obviously you know how to find because you're listening to it, obviously, you can find me a few other places. First of all, you can find me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast, in which we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC comic sci-fi series, Legion. That's the one with the acronym, not Legion of Superheroes. And you can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. You also can find me recently guest starring on episode 67 of Clinton Robinson's Coffee and Comics, in which we talked about the DC retroactive The Flash, the 1980s, one shot. And that was a lot of fun. Links for both of those will be in the show notes. Now, you want your name said here? You want to write me an email and talk about something that you listened to one of the recent episodes? Go right ahead, and this is how you would do it. First of all, send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Go and like and share our posts on Facebook. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box and we will pop up. Go to our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Or talk to us on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. Now don't forget, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective is a group of podcasters who have decided to network in the most traditional sense. Sharing ideas, helping promote each other's episodes, etc. In fact, we're going to play a promo for one of The Collective shows right now. (laughs) Are you a fan of comic books? Are you a fan of comic book villains? Well, join me, Russell, as we take a walk on the dark side with Tomes of Evil, the podcast dedicated to discussing, analyzing, and overall glorifying the villains of Marvel Comics, DC Comics, and all your favorite indie books. Tomes of Evil, a comic book building podcast. That was Marvel Spotlight 26. That was the second Scarecrow story. It is definitely, I think, I think I'm speaking for everybody correctly when I say it is definitely the second uh, best story <laughs> with the Scarecrow. <laughs> yes, that we have read so far. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, that is it, a it completely is, true it is, statement. It has de- decidedly cemented its position in the number two slot. It worked hard to earn yeah. that position. And yes. so did we. It's like, and so I'm did going we. To, I'm going to go for the silver on this event. That's what I'm shooting for. Okay, you. It's good to have goals, like apparently. Yep. We have one. There's one more scarecrow story for next year, and I'm hoping that that hoping after reading that story that this story that this one will have gone for the bronze. You and me both, buddy, <laughs> guys. You and me both. You and me both. The bar isn't that high. Yeah, so it'll be disappointing if it goes if it stays the same quality or even goes down further. If nothing, if well, I mean, if you even just make harmony look more on model next time okay that we'll just rank it by that alone you know it's like how does harmony look okay you know issue dead of night top this one so come on (laughs) (laughs) all right well i guess we're done with that um so who wants to go first plugging and talking about themselves 
Well, I'll go Not first. Not it. Yeah, I'll go first because I got I still I still after all these years have no actual podcasts of my own to plug. So as always, I will turn this into Brian's pop culture corner. Um, And as I have done the last uh, several uh, sidekicking with Al podcast, I'm going to recommend to everyone out there a uh, phenomenal anime series that has uh, just debuted as we are recording this on Netflix um, they're not quite simulcasting it. It's a brand new series that the episodes are airing on are, are being released on Netflix about two weeks after they air in Japan. But please, everyone check out Comey Can't Communicate, which is uh, uh, words fail me to describe like the delightfulness of the story. It is sweet. It is fall down funny. It is romantic and hilarious. Uh, it's about a girl who can't speak. Well, I mean, she can speak. But she's like so anxious. She has social anxiety and she just can't bring herself to speak. So she and this leads to many, many misunderstandings. And it's about like the one boy who like sees what she's really like. And they both happen to go to a school full of weirdos and freaks and shenanigans ensue. And it is like the adorableness is off the charts. And I cannot recommend this highly enough. I've been reading the manga for years Love the manga for years. That is also highly recommended. It's being published in America by Viz. But it, like I said, they've now have an anime adaptation and it is on Netflix. And so you can go and watch it. And I cannot think of any reason why anybody with a heart would not. That is all. I can see there's three episodes up so far. All right. Well, Brian gave you an, uh, something to try. All right, Tim, what you got? Oh, I just have boring old podcasts. <laughs> Thankfully, you don't need a heart to listen to mine. So, you know, it that, 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 that prereq is out of the way. <laughs> you know, you can find me on uh, the Right On Network's podcasts. Uh, I appear on two regularly, the Batgirl Cassandra Kane podcast with Ashford Wright. And you can find that on Twitter at Huntress Podcast. Uh, on your podcatchers, you find it under the Batgirl slash Huntress Podcast because it shares a feed with Huntress, but also shares a feed with basically all of the Right On Network's comic book-based podcasts, including Feathers and Foes, a Birds of Pay podcast, and my second podcast, which is the Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. You can find that on Twitter at Bat Outcasters. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Price One Seven. Well, links will be in the show notes for all these things. Excellent. So, that way, my people can be lazy. My listeners can be lazy. They don't have to go looking up stuff. They just click on things. They, have to they should be taking notes. That's good. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's that. Yeah, I'm not going to make my listeners work as hard as we had to. Podcast listeners need to need to write and no, Brian, come on. All y'all, everyone needs to be stepping it up. Come on, come on. It's 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 okay. I'm. I can't. I can't remember the name of the the anime. Said you. You said it just one minute ago. I can't remember it now. What the heck? (laughs) Well, fortunately, squirrel. (laughs) Fortunately for you, Al will be putting uh, notes in the uh, in the show notes. That's it, people. Go watch, uh, what's it called? Comey Can't Communicate. Comey Can't, can't communicate. communicate. And then go listen to Outcasters. Exactly. In that order. Or, <laughs> or reverse the order. Or reverse the or order. Or randomize listen, the order. I don't care. Listen to us Any first. Order. Listen to us first, which obviously you're doing, or else you wouldn't know to do any of this other stuff. Exactly. Mm. Time and is a flat circle. And, and then you come thinking? back in two weeks for what something else. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it, everyone. Oh, anytime. Yeah, thank you, Al. I had a blast. Good. All right, guys. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye.
Bye. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.